you say what was the revolution uh, band dynamic like back in the day the dynamic <clears throat> i mean I've, i mean did you guys um spend uh, any time together away from music and and you know how, yeah, how cordial would, and friendly was it you know and, i would say it's the same as it is today i mean we never changed um, uh, we used to always go at the group, go out to dinner. Um, we laughed, go. We always on rode on the bus together, so we were always together. You know, eight nine months out of a year, you're you're in a tour bus, city after city, and we did that time and time again. So you develop a real closeness. Wendy, even when Des was in the band, Wendy used to come out uh, frequently and travel with Lisa. So I mean, we we're all used to being together. And um, so the d dynamics are very family. I call us the Brady Bunch. That's what I call us, you know. Many people have heard me say that, but that's what it was like to me. Uh, it was one of my favorite shows growing up, and I, I considered us like the Brady Bunch. I mean, you know, when Wendy came in, I was like, Marcia, Marcia, Marcia. You know, I was always complaining, you know, because <laughs> Prince gave her all the all the attention. I was like, what about me? You know? And so, I mean, it was a family, it was fun, you know, but it had its moments, it's tense moments, but that, that's what we were. We were a family unit. And I mean, I loved it to this day. I love it. Cause we, we all, we have our fights, you know, don't get me wrong now. You know, we, we disagree with each other on a lot of stuff, but like family, we work it out. We punch through and, and we do our thing. You know, we could talk about Prince's talent endlessly because it seemed to be endless. But, you know, if you had to distill it down, I'm going to try to make you do that. To one <laughs> thing, what would you say was most impressive about his musical ability or talent? Um, the most impressive thing to me is uh, his ability to understand the theory of any music, I don't care what it was, when you, when you learn the theory, then everything else is like gravy. And uh, it was one of the biggest lessons I learned from him. Um, and I'll give you an example. Uh, there wasn't a single song that he would approach. He would say, he would start a groove and then he'd go off into an Elvis Presley-like thing. You know, the, you know, he would go into this Elvis thing. And if you understand, you get into the head of Elvis Presley, you get into the head of Elvis Presley's band, 
you understand what it was that they were doing. You understand the theory of it. You understand the depth of it and the feel of it. Next thing you know, you'll you'll deliver just that. And Prince had the amazing ability. I don't care what it was, Mozart to uh, Miles Davis. I mean, it really didn't matter what it was. I mean, um, this dude understood the theory behind it, and that's what made him so, you know, profound. I mean, this dude could just play anything. And then he would go on each instrument, and he could deliver it. You know, if you were having a struggle with trying to find the feel of it or whatever, man, he could get on your instrument and show you in a few seconds, you know, what, what it's supposed to feel like. And it was just amazing. That was the most amazing part of him to me. I, I like called modern-day Mozart. Mozart. That's, that's what I call him, the modern-day Mozart. He was a genius. Kind of like, um, I'm thinking like a musical chameleon almost, you know, just able to get within the, the skin of whatever it was, you know? Absolutely. That's, that's a perfect analogy of what he was. He was a chameleon, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> So you, you obviously eventually parted ways with the revolution, and I want to talk about that a little bit. But um, I guess, you know, on that in your book, I was, you know, it was interesting for me to learn that on that final tour, you were kind of almost like a, a bit of a mercenary in a way. You were kind of like on your own deal and, and that. And I don't think the rest of the band even necessarily knew that was going on. They didn't know. Yeah. And after Purple Rain, it was over for me. I was done. The Purple Rain was for me. I had had enough of, uh, you know, I got promised so much stuff, you know. And at one point, I just had to say to myself, this is great. I'm on top of the world right now, but he's having a great time. I mean, he got a bank account. You know, me, I'm like, you know, I wasn't living with mom anymore, but, you know, all it took was one bad month and I'd be moving back in with mom. (laughs) You know, the bank account didn't reflect the fame, the success. And... Like I had Grammys, I had music awards, I had 22 gold and platinum albums, you know. But I would look at all that, I had a studio, I had a nice house at the top of the hill. But when I went to balance my checkbook, it just, it just, it didn't balance out. I knew it was just a matter of time when this is all gonna end. If I don't start making moves on my own, I knew, I, I just saw the writing on the wall and it wasn't that I didn't love playing in the revolution. It's just I had to, at that point, learn how to be a businessman. And it was bad business for me to stay in the environment that I was in because I was slowly but surely being phased out for whatever reason. Um, you know, I have my theories on why. And, you know, I put a couple of them in the book there. But, you know, I, I felt like my days were numbered. And so... I did what any smart business person would do, and I set up a contract type of uh, situation between he and I. It was no longer this retainer type system that the band was under, where we got retainers, you know, and then we relied on a tour retainer, and then we relied on a bonus, you know, based on sales and everything. Nothing matched, you know. It was like, it's like, man, we're getting pimped, you know, and so that. 
that was the attitude that I had. And he used to always say to me, you know, we brothers got to stick together and we got to help one another. I'm like, okay, well, help my bank account, you know. And and so I think he knew at that point I was starting to learn. And so he, he didn't want me to quit, so he did a contract with me. But but he told me, you have to keep this quiet. You, he made me sign a document saying I couldn't talk. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I signed it. I kept my mouth shut for almost two years or so. You know, I just shut up. Were, were you surprised when you know you kind of left and then he ended up disbanding the revolution? No, I wasn't at all. Um, it 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 made me sad that he did. You know, I I was hoping that he would have just hired another bass player and, and kept it going, but it didn't surprise me because. The bottom end was so significant in in the way the sound was, you know, our sound. A, a lot of that bottom moved. It was like that that freight train. In the way me and Bobby played together, I mean, we developed a very a unique kind of bottom end sound. You remove that, it's a whole different beast, you know. And I think Prince knew that, and I think. He got angry about it a little bit near the end there. He didn't get angry at me. He got angry at the fact that he knew that there was no turning around. I was gone. I, I was going to leave. You know, he came something, to me. Something out of his control. That was probably yeah, hard to yeah. deal with. Yeah. Totally out of his control. He knew it. And, um, I mean, in the movie, you know, I have no speaking parts. Uh, I, I started disappearing. I, I, I watched the videos every night. That's how I would help with, you know, I was able to form choreography, the whole band moving together and all that. That wasn't by chance. I mean, I he put me in charge of creating that movement on the stage. But yet, there's no accolades that came from it, see? And it's like, you know, I'm like, I'm contributing. I'm, I'm helping you reach this pinnacle but I felt like um, there was nothing in it for me anymore. And so um, when, when I departed with him, it was on good. I mean, we, we were, you know, um, it was positive. It wasn't negative. It wasn't, I didn't leave on bad terms, but he knew it was over for me. He knew it. And uh, that last show, Yokohama Stadium, you could tell he was very emotional. He, destroying stuff on stage you know he was acting out everybody was kind of looking at each other but me I kind of knew what was going on I just didn't say nothing but I was like well he knows this is it unless he could rebuild this some other kind of way I think he knew it was over you know and six months later he calling me up I went up to Paisley or you know uh, Paisley wasn't quite finished yet and I remember he said to me um, he says, okay, I'm putting together a new group called MPG, New Power Generation. And uh, I want you to be in this band. It's going to be Sheila E, Levi on guitar with Miko, and you on bass. I was like, Whoa. I was like, that would be a funky did, group. Did you know Levi and Miko at that point? Yeah. Yeah, man, it was too bad bad cats you know and i was like man i was like this group that that could be 
pretty nasty. And I thought about it, and I said, I said, friends, I said, come on, man. I said, I think I've had my time with you. I said, you know, I've given you the best years of my life. I said, now it's time for me to go find out who I am. You know, I got to explore myself. I can't keep feeding you, you know, and I, I walk away empty handed at the end of the day. I, I said, I can't do it no more. And I remember he shook his head like this and he was like, does I get it? I get to understand. And from that point on, you know, me and him were in good standing. And I mean, to a point where he even uh, gave me a room at a real small studio at Paisley Park to work out of, even though I had a studio at my house. So I could pick up work and, you know, uh, with some of the inflow of the clients that were coming through. So, I mean, he, he was very uh, cool with me. And then, uh, you know, uh, Maserati, you know, uh, he had a hand in on that. And how, how did you get that off the ground, Maserati? I started Maserati back in 81, 1981, when I joined Prince. And because I wasn't for sure how things were going to work out with me and Prince. So I put together a group that I was going to be. You know, Maserati was going to be my band. Well, it was my band, but I was going to be in that band. That was my intention. And uh, things started working out really well with Prince, so I, I decided it would be best for me to just keep building that group as an entity and live vicariously through them. Because Maserati is more my MO, you know, writing style, stage style. I mean, everything about them was me. They were, they were like six Brown Mark clones, you know, I mean, that's all they were. I mean, I, I really groomed them from, you know, I took that group from nothing and I really built that up in my mother's basement to, to where they were a force to be reckoned with. And um, when Prince found out that I uh, had them, because I was called the shadow, and of course, you know, I was hiding my identity, but here this group comes out of nowhere, and you know, they're they're taking over stuff, you know. Maserati was very aggressive. 100 miles an hour was a hit, yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and so he, you know, he found out it was me, and he, he, you know, gave me the speech again, you know, we brothers need to stay together. <laughs> And I was like, okay, okay. Like, you want to put them on Paisley? He's like, we should put them on Paisley. And, um, you know, why give that money to, to, you know, the record label? And I have a label now, and we can just keep them all here. So that that's how that whole thing came came together. And so they became uh, the first band ever to sign, uh, to be signed to Paisley Park Records through BM, BRM Productions, which my was my production company. Wow, that's an interesting uh, uh, <laughs> landmark, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to remember that record came out like '85, was it, or '86? I, I, man, it's hard to say. Because I'm, I, I'm trying to formulate the chronology. If it came out the same time, or in relation to like Jesse Johnson's first record, or no, um, it, it was more like '86. Because I remember. When we did the parade tour, Maserati opened for us at Cobo Hall, Detroit. 
I remember they they opened up for us. I think it was Cobo Hall, Detroit. And, uh, but then after that gig, I mean, he put them off. <laughs> he put them off with some quickness. They they didn't survive, you know. I I had long heard. I mean, it's sort of like it was like folklore of the industry about what happened with Kiss, you know. And then to read about it in your book, you know, it was just really interesting after having heard about it for so long, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I kept I kept quiet about it. Um, Prince, me and Prince had dialogue. He knew how I felt because Kiss is just one of them. You know, there, there's many, many songs that uh, I didn't get credit for. Um, I shouldn't say many, but there were a few that um, I did not get credit for, and I wasn't happy about it. Uh, but again, it was the whole reason why I departed. It's like I'm giving and giving, but I get I'm getting nothing back. See, and um, Kiss was just one of the big ones. It was one of the biggest hits of his career. A lot of people don't realize Kiss was one of the biggest hits of his career, and. I wrote that complete rhythm section. The, the, the you can't attribute that to nobody else. That was my stuff. That was Brown sound all the way, even to the bass. That he took the bass out of it. But um, you know, he said, "Don't worry, I, I got you. I'm gonna take care of you." I I've heard that before, but I, I figured this time he would be, you know, he he'd stick to it because um, you know. It, it was undeniable that they came from it came from Maserati, you know, and uh, you know how how do you hide that story? I mean, you can't, you know that it's obvious where that song came from because it was on their album, and uh, you know he said, "Don't worry, you know I'll take care of the royalties and all that. You'll be taken care of." I never was, and. Um, uh, for years, you know, I fought back and forth with him directly through his his cronies, his people. Um, but to no end, nothing ever happened. I never saw a penny from it, and that hurts. That hurts. That was a huge record. Number one, I think. Number one. It that 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 song made made a lot of money, millions. You know. To just even think that, you know, even if, you know, I would have just gotten a fraction of what I should have gotten for it, you know, it set you for life, you know, pretty much, you know. So so there was a lot of anger, you know, that's when me and him kind of fell out again um, after that. And uh, but years later, um, uh, I'd never sued him. I never went after him. A lot of people call me stupid for it, but for me, it's like, it's a love-hate relation, man. Me, me and him were brothers, you know. I don't care what anybody says. It, You know, you got a lot of fans out there that, you know, angry about my book and stuff. But the bottom line is I don't care. Me, me and Prince had a really unique dynamic with each other. We were brothers. Big brothers beat up on little brothers all the time. I beat up on my poor little brother. And Prince, that's what he did to me. <laughs> I was... I was like little brother and stomping on me all the time, you know, and it was just the dynamics of the two of us. And um, some of it hurt, some of it didn't. But 
I loved him, and it, so I couldn't get myself to go to that depth to bring up a lawsuit against. I, I, I just said, you know what? That's the way you want to do it. I'll take my losses, and I'll just move on. And that's what I did. And years later, he and I came back together, you know, and we embraced each other as, as closer friends than we had ever been. And so it was a beautiful thing for me. I still didn't get paid, but you know, <laughs> it was one of the things that I was going to talk to him about. I was going to bring it up. I was like, you know, look, friends, you worth a few hundred million dollars. Can you break a brother off? You know, <laughs> kid, girls and boys. Uh, you know, I was going to start, you know, just, you know, just talking to him about it. And then unfortunately he passed. And uh, that was a really sad moment. Yeah, gosh. Um, there's such a dichotomy with Prince, it seems like, because he was so good at like building people up and kind of showing them the way in the industry, but then also sometimes kind of tearing them down a little bit, you know? Yeah, I, I, we have a, a lot of us have a, a running joke about what personality is he going to wake up with today? <laughs> yeah, he had several, you know. And so if you if you got him on a bad day, it was just going to be a bad day, you know. So, uh, I mean, this dude's brain was working nonstop, nonstop. I, I used to ask him, do you sleep? Have you been sleeping, man? Are you at least getting an hour a night? I mean, this dude was always gone, 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 moving all the time. Every time I turn around, new song, like, man, give your brain a rest, dude. I mean, you know. Give your brain, let, let the fogginess go away so you can start creating some new sound and stuff, you know, but he would just, he would keep it going nonstop, you know, crazy. Do you think, you know, I think about this a lot because uh, it hit me so profoundly when he left us, but do you think the fact that he was sort of, you know, like that, that he burned out a little early, you know, because he was just so on 24-7 for so long? I don't know if you would call it burnout. I mean, I'm a writer. Yeah, I write all the time. I mean, you know, you want to talk about some archives. I mean, I got thousands of songs that will never see the light of day. It's just something we do, you know. Uh, when you start to write, you just, you, that's what you do. Um, so I don't think he burned out. I just think he lost touch with where music was heading. The music was going this way prince was still doing prince the and uh it got away from him i i think that's what happened personally and i remember once i i had said to him you should let somebody produce you um, and i would even submit songs to him you know um, hoping that maybe he would like them and say hey let's work on this together but it just never happened you know he liked to be in control of his destiny and not, you know, I don't knock him for it, but, you know, I, I just think that, you know, he lost his way a couple of times, as all of us do. It's called writer's block, you know. But he was the kind of guy that didn't let writer's block stop him. He would just keep it going. You know, oh, I got writer's block, but I'm writing a song. <laughs> yeah, well, definitely there's that part of it. But I also meant just in terms of, like, physiologically, you know, that he kind of ran himself down being so intense and on music. 24-7 for so many years, kind of like, um, 
you know, a hamster on a wheel that doesn't ever stops and gets a break or a hummingbird or something. You know, he was so into it for so long that maybe, you know. That's a possibility. You know, that, that's a good analogy. I mean, I mean, not an analogy, but a good observation of him. And that, that, that is a possibility. Um, I, I, that I, I really don't know. I just have my own opinions about him. And I, and I think that he just did not like to uh, relinquish that power, that control of, of his own destiny. And then he started to do it with Third Eye Girl, which was a shock to me, you know, because uh, he had brought in, you know, an outside producer. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, oh, maybe we'll see a different side of Prince now. He's going to let other people come in and start letting, letting him see how the music industry has changed around him because it was very different. He's still doing things. You know, pretty much old school. I mean, there's a there was a new school of writers and new sound. I mean, I had to sit back. I walked away from the industry in 1992, um, and I just observed for over a decade while I raised my two boys. Um, I observed the change in where music was going, so that when I decided to get back in, I would have a good understanding of how to pursue it and i'm still struggling because it's <laughs> industry changing so fast it's like wow does anybody know what's going on so yeah yeah i mean you well you of course went on to work uh, with motown and you worked with some you know pretty name acts for that and you put out some records through motown and um i i can say i got to play with stevie ray vaughn and Stevie Wonder. <laughs> Not too many people can say that. I can say that I got to eat lunch in Barry Gordy's house underneath his waterfall. You know, I mean, so I, I mean, I had a pretty interesting life after after Prince. You know, I had a very successful life after Prince, as far as um, financially and um, uh, as far as uh, my music. My expanding my musical horizons. I mean, I really got to do some really cool stuff. I, I people don't know I have Pepsi commercials. I got cereal commercials. People don't know the depths of the things that I've done because I never talk about them. But I, I had wonderful opportunities after I got out on my own, and I, I can actually look back on my life and I can say. Woo! I want it for nothing, you know. I mean, I, I, I had it all, and I, I'm, I'm to this day, I'm a pretty happy man. And last time Prince saw me, he said, um, he says your spirit, he says you're, you're glowing, and I said, yeah, I said I'm a happy man. I said, you know, I, I don't have nothing to complain about, dude. I'm not rich like you, but you know, uh, you can be happy without having the riches. Rich on personality, like he said. That's right. That's right. Um, well, when you mentioned St both Stevies, I was thinking, did you get to play uh, Superstition with one of them? Because that's the common thread between Stevie Ray Vaughan and Stevie Wonder. Stevie Ray Vaughan did the Superstition cover. That's exactly what we played. Yeah, we did an MTV Music Fest or uh, MTV Music Special. The cool thing about Stevie was Stevie Wonder is, uh, you know, we we walked in there. I mean, there's no rehearsals. There's no nothing. And I'm walking in the studio, Stevie Ray Vaughan, all I hear is this 
the guitar is so loud the, the guitar is in a sound stage by itself and there had to be a wall i don't if i had to guess it was 10 15 marshall stacks with one microphone it was the most hilarious thing i ever seen in my life and stevie ray vaughn's down the hall in the studios i i'm looking i'm like my god that's noisy and then so I keep walking towards the studio and I walk in and there's Stevie Ray Vaughan, his little feather, and, you know, he's just getting down, man. And I'm just like, dang, this dude's amazing. I've never seen anyone record like that, you know. And then uh, Stevie Wonder was over there on the, uh, God, what was that, in the Fairlight, Fairlight keyboard. And just amazing cat, man. He was amazing. And they brought me over to meet him, and it, man, the rest was history. He basically just let me, kind of like Prince. He's like, just do your thing. You know the song, right? I was like, yeah. He said, you want to sing a verse? I was like, no. <laughs> he said, why? I was like, man, me singing with Stevie Wonder? I was like, heck no. I was like, no, I don't want to sing. I said, I'll just play bass. And he said, okay. And he, he called me out in the song. If you ever hear, find that tape, uh, he says, uh, he calls out my name because he wants me to sing a verse. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so he goes, I guess not. I was like, yeah, I'm not singing, bro. <laughs> wow. That's, I mean, that's a pantheon of uh, greats right there. Yeah. 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 Smokey Robinson. I mean, I got to, woo. I, I, Motown was a pleasure for me. It really was. Yeah. And that was, um, Motown was really trying to, I think, find the formula to get hits again at that point because it was like Rick James was like fading away and yeah, the yeah. music industry was changing. That's when it started. So when I when I walked away from it, when I quit, that was about 1992. I remember MCA uh, uh, came in. I was bought by Boston Adventures, and they hired him to come in. Run Motown. And I remember it was Gerald Busby. I remember sitting down with Gerald. Happy man, and um, he gave me a full release from my contract. Full release. I retired. That was it. I retired from the industry. Are your your sons do music at all? They do, but I never encouraged them to get into the music industry though but they they do play they both play guitar and bass and excellent songwriters but uh it's not a business that i wanted them to get in and i'm so happy that they didn't this business is a mess <laughs> <laughs> i wanted to mention uh so people can look for it that record you did uh cryptic it's it's been a while um that was a strong record, you know, and it had a lot of diverse influences in it. You had some rock, you had some funk, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it definitely deserves another look, uh, especially for people who maybe hadn't had a chance to check it out. Is it available? Yeah. No, I mean, it is, but, you know, I'm going to pull it because uh, I, I need to, I need, I'm going to redo it and put it out properly. Uh, that song, I, I had a fallout with the partner that I had when I released that record. So I, I don't really push that record. The record that I push is my latest house party. And uh, my single is um, Empty Handed. And that's on 
you know, all digital platforms. That that's the music that I'm pushing right now. Well, this other one also came out in 2010, I guess. Six Mill Breach. Yeah, that's that's, rock. that's a good record. Yeah. Yeah, that never uh, that got pulled too. I pulled that. Uh, I had some partners down in Texas, and man, they they were trying to pull the wool over my eyes, and and I uh, pulled that record at the last minute. And so it never got released. Yeah, it, I'm telling, it's a dirty business. It's a dirty business, and you gotta watch yourself in this business because uh, people, people are not. And, uh, you know, everybody wants to be a star. Everybody wants to shine. So uh, I had to pull that record because you know it was about to be released, <laughs> even though my name was on it all the background was in somebody else's name mm. six mil breach album and i just happened to stumble across it that's how i found out and i had to call all the digital platforms and and threaten to sue and i mean it was crazy crazy time period wow man you've really been through it with that stuff it was just a crooked business it's a real <laughs> crooked business what, so what's the one that you want you would like to promote though? Can you state that again? Yeah, it's called Empty Handed off the uh, EP House Party, and you can get it on all platforms. They, they have it at Amazon. Uh, you can get it at Apple Music, uh, Spotify, Title. You, know, you name it, it's everywhere. So just type in Brown Mark and the Bad Boys of Paisley. All right, and all that stuff will come up. Yeah, look for that one. Um, and are you still, you said you're writing, you got all these songs that you, you've written. Um, are you going to do some more in the future, or what, what can I, we expect? I am. Uh, Empty Handed came out a few months ago, and that's just the beginning. Uh, so uh, hopefully before the new year, uh, I'll have another two-song, three-song EP I'm going to put out. Um, it's more of, of a soca music, more of... Uh, uh, Clips uh, like uh, a little bit of reggae, a little bit of Caribbean feel, but funky. It's it real unique, something I'm experimenting with, but I love it. You know, I do what I like. I don't do what people dictate to me to do. I, I kind of put out what I like, and if you like it, then great. Because people don't buy records anyway, so I don't care. <laughs> um. And what about the revolution? What's the uh, status of, of the group as we come out of the pandemic? It's hard to say right now. You know, the the whole music industry, everybody's hurting. This this industry, that COVID nineteen shut us all down. You know, and so um, we canceled two tours. Two tours. I mean, I, we lost. We lost a whole, I mean, I lost two years of revenue just with one year of COVID, you know, I mean, it's, it's been really a bad ordeal, but uh, I think that uh, we're gearing up. We're looking forward to 2021. Um, things are, you know, looking like they start opening up in the summer. And so we'll see what happens, you know, with our, our, um, booking agent we'll, we'll, we'll see how things go yeah, we're open yeah well so that the uh, upside of that is it sounds like the group wants to get back out there it's just a matter of it being doable 
Absolutely. We I'm hoping we get to go back and do that European tour that we were, you know, we had to cancel. So, and then I, I would love to go to Germany. I would love to see Australia. Uh, they love us over there and they've just been patiently waiting, you know, Australia, New Zealand, you know, and I'm hoping that we get down to South America you know, over there at uh, Brazil. How, how fulfilling is it being able to bring that music, you know, to people still? And it, it's a uh, wow, cathartic. You know, I mean, it's man. We we were we were depressed. A lot of people don't realize how hard his death was on us. We were closer to him than any fan could ever get. You know, I mean, he was family to us, and you know, yeah, we had our dynamics. We, we fought like family, but we loved that guy to death, and he loved us. That's why he kept in touch with us all these years. And we didn't always agree on things, you know. He knew this book was coming out. He didn't like it, <laughs> but he knew it was coming out. He knows me, and, you know, he, he said to me, just let me read it before you put it out. And I knew what that was all about. He probably, he would have bought them all up so they never. <laughs> I know him. He would have just bought the whole stack, you know, the whole inventory, but. But the bottom line is, you know, that that's the kind of dynamics we had. And, uh, you know, you know, we love that guy. And so when we go and gig now, what we're doing is we're giving back. It's like, man, we were the soundtrack to people's lives. A lot of people are born today because of the music we helped create. And, um, you know, Prince was our leader. He was our mentor. Um, but it took it took a family, you know. Uh, yeah, he could have kept releasing Prince records, but he did a Prince and the Revolution for a reason, because he understood that if I really wanted to cross these boundaries, I needed to unite these genres. Wendy and Lisa brought uniqueness to the group. I brought a uniqueness to the bottom. Bobby brought that steady feel. Matt Fink surgical on the keyboards you put all that together you have a very dynamic unit it was we may not have been the most technical band that he ever had but we were the most family and we played like family we got up on that stage and we were a freight train you know so we we enjoy giving that back to the fans and uh, they enjoy it is you know, like I said, you got a lot of haters out there, but the majority of Prince fans, you know, thank you for your support because we we appreciate you as much as you appreciate us, and, and we're gonna keep the legacy alive. You know, that's what we do. Well, it's so fantastic and wonderful that you're doing that and able to do that. You know, yeah. and um, were you surprised at all at the outpouring from the entire world? Uh, for him when he passed because I mean I assumed it was going to be significant but it just kind of overwhelmed me at the magnitude of it I, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised one bit uh, when Michael passed you know it was big ordeal right it was, it was huge and I was like when Prince when he passed I, I, man, I looked at my friends I said oh people watch what happens watch what happens the world lost an incredible, incredible musician. Michael was an entertainer. 
Prince was an entertainer and a musician on all levels. Songwriter, everything, you, uh, engineer, I mean, you name it, this dude did it all. And um, he has a following and a base that is so strong, they'll live with him forever. And I said, you watch what happens. And sure enough, you know, as the weeks went on, man, the outcry worldwide, you could, you could see it. The whole world mourned his loss. And people were like, wow, I didn't think Prince was that big. I was like, there you go. There you have it. You know, he's like the uh, Grateful Dead, man. You don't know how huge the numbers are until they turn out in concert. <laughs> Grateful Dead, that they, you know, their following is massive. Yeah, Prince heads. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Well, also his music, uh, so much of it struck such a personal note for so many people. It wasn't just that he was so great performing and all that, but his lyrics and the, and how intimate he was and his vocals and everything. I mean, like my wife, huge Prince fan. That's kind of what we met. And yeah. um, she connects with him for for like a different reason than I do. You know, there's yeah. like so many different levels. There's so many different fans that connect to him for all these different reasons. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, he was uh, he. That that's why he has a cult following. I mean, it's like, I mean, he connected with everybody on a different level. He was all things to all people, you know. So, uh, we with the world lost. An incredible musician. He was an excellent lyricist. This dude knew how to talk about a poet and didn't know it. This dude knew how to put together words. You know. And uh, yeah, the world is going. There's never going to be anyone like him. I can tell you that much. Not not in our lifetime. We'll never see it. I'm just glad I was alive to see it. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Um, exactly. What what do you, do you have any thoughts on um, you know the vault and how that's being handled and do you think or do you know if are you on much material that might be in the vault? I'm on a ton of material in that vault. Um, but my attitude about the vault is if he wanted it out, he would put it out. You know, I I don't like it. How? I mean, I don't I don't like it how. You know, I agree. He he's gone now, and so you you know you have to share a lot of that stuff with the world, but at least involve the people that were involved with it. Let them help you share that because there's a story behind every single thing in that vault, and um, it hurts my heart when I hear music coming out of the vault that I know I was a part of, but you don't. You don't see my name appear anywhere. Mm. You know, let me tell my story. Let me let me tell people about how, you know, I rumbled on that baseline, or you know, was I making a sandwich when I made that baseline? You know, I mean, what was I doing? You know, say so let us tell our stories because the revolution was on a lot of that stuff. I recall an interview that Prince said, uh, "The revolution has a lot of stuff in the vault." There is an interview where he says that right out of his own mouth. The revolution has a lot of stuff in the vault and we do, you know, because that was, that was what we did every day 
we were recording new stuff. I would come in so often. I'd try to get there early because I had my band Maserati. And I would try to work on new material. They never had time. It was all print, 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 print. So I would get there really early, and he was always late. So I was like, okay, I'm going early, fire up all the equipment, and I'm going to start working on songs for Maserati. He'd come walking in early. I'm like, God dang it. Because the first thing he would do, he was like, what's that? And I'm like, uh, it's something I'm working on. He's like, oh, man, what key is that in? And it was over. It was over. It was his. Because as the group started coming in, he started dishing out parts. And, and then it was over. We'd be jamming on that for the next three, four hours. <laughs> the tapes are rolling. He's recording. So th there's tons of that in the vault. Tons. And uh, I would just like it if the family would just include us when this stuff is being released. Let, let us tell our story about it. And then at least the, the, the fans will understand where it came from. The context, yeah. Yeah, context. The revolution, in my opinion, is the most under rated band that came out of the purple camp it's you know they're all the bands were wonderful mpg everything but nobody has our story correct let us tell our story you know no one has the revolution story correct i hear things from the revolution formed in 1979 no they didn't people don't realize the revolution didn't form till late 1983 we were never called the revolution. It was Prince. It was just Prince, 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 all the way up to 1983. I remember the day he approached me and said, with three names that I don't remember, but I remember he approached me and says, I'm thinking about, you know, separating myself from the band and giving you guys a name. And he gave me three names. I remember revolution. The revolution is what rang a bell with me. I said, man, go with the revolution. Everybody else agreed. That's what he went with, the revolution, Prince and the revolution. He wanted a Sly and a Family Stone, a Fleetwood Mac. He, he, he wanted that family unit that um, he could go out with and write music with. You notice it says written and produced by Prince and the revolution. See? But we don't we don't get that credit. See, and that, that bothers me because there's a story behind it, all that stuff. Let us be a part of it. That's all I ever say, you know. But who am I? I was the <laughs> I was the quiet guy that never said anything. Well, I mean, the tragic thing about that is that um, I mean, the, that's what the fans w would want too. Exactly. You know, exactly. they would love to know the truth behind uh, uh, a lot of the music. You know. And believe me, we got stories. We got more stories than people know what to do with. Yeah, none of us are getting younger people. Let's make it happen. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So, hey, I appreciate you so much uh, spending all this time and sharing these stories. Just amazing talking Thank to you. you. And I want to make sure that I, again, plug your, your book here. Get it, read it. You'll be glad you did. It's uh, My Life in the Purple Kingdom brown mark and so what year did you actually start working on this because you said that prince was still with us when you started yeah what is this it's 2020 so that means i had to start that in 2005 yeah wow yep 
around 2005, 2006, somewhere in there. Yeah. <laughs> I was raising my kids when I wrote this. Huh. Yeah. It was kind of, it was therapy for me. I was still uh, struggling with a, a lot. I, I was having nightmares, you know, about a lot of the complex and things that I had gone through. And a lot of it was being linked back. Like, you know, I almost had a, a stroke, uh, you know, and a lot of health problems, you know, because of the stress. And a lot of it was being linked back to that time period. And so uh, one of the things that I was advised to do is write, write, get a pen and paper, start writing. And I did, and it was the best thing that I ever done. Yeah. I, I think about this Me Too movement that's out right now and how these women are brave and they're coming forward and they're telling their stories. And I was like, good, good for them. Because you know what? Um, that That is so therapeutic to tell your story. And uh, I got to tell mine and I'm happy I told it. Yeah, we're happy too. I mean, the story is not all roses, but the experience yeah. is, you know, what it was and, and very important. You can't deny any of that. So Absolutely. And I don't disrespect him once in that book you know and that and that's the thing i always tell i, I was really angry with the, the news articles that came out you know talking about that they, they they picked up on very negative stuff in the book well just dark stuff in the book and made it negative they highlighted it as if that's what the book was about and it really angered me but there's nothing i can do journalist is going to do what he's going to do you know but you know, anybody that knows me and anybody that has read the book, they know that that's all a bunch of baloney. You know, because I, I never disprints, never will. I loved him. That was my brother. And I miss him to this day, and I look forward to the day when I'll play with him again. <laughs> you know, because I will. Yeah, I want to see it on that cloud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, beautiful, man. God bless you. Thank you so much. And, uh, Best of luck with the book and your future music and your peace of mind and all of it. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Thank you. You are, you are a good interviewer. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you.